So this fall, we are looking at the stories of Jesus, the words and teachings of Jesus, uh, both stories about Jesus, stories that Jesus told, like the parable of the sower that we explored last Sunday. And today we're going to return back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Remember, it's important to remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly upping the ante. He is basically focusing on motive and matters of the heart. He says, the law says don't murder, but I tell you, deal with your anger. He says, the law says love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, forgive over and over again. Jesus is taking us a step back and he's saying, what is the emotion, what is the feeling that causes us to get to a point where we, uh, we break the law, go against the law? So he is very concerned about matters of the heart. And so in today's text, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This morning we're going to talk about a subject that many preachers and many churches won't address. And there's a reason for that. It's a tough subject. It's lust. Here's what we know. Sexuality saturates our culture. Research tells us that internet pornography is on the rise and has been for some time. It's become a huge problem for many people. It's a massive industry. Uh, if you read these statistics, they are alarming. It has become a chemical addiction of sorts. Uh, some people say, well, well, who can blame us on this sexuality thing? I mean, God has given us a sex drive and there's nothing we can do about that. But for parents who are trying to raise children in a healthy environment, this constant, overt sexual expression that is all over our culture makes that task, especially raising teenagers, I'm not there yet, but will be at some point, it makes that very difficult. Instilling values into them, uh, it makes it very challenging, but it's more necessary than it's ever been before. Uh, I heard a recent statistic that the top consumers of internet pornography are actually teenagers between the ages of 12 and 18. That's alarming. But the truth is, is that this is a growing problem in our culture, in our digital age, for people of different ages and stages of life. So it serves us well, I think, to take a minute and to ponder what the real issues are that lie under the surface of our culture's obsession with sex and sexuality, a longing for intimacy, self-confidence issues, body image, power, control, loneliness, a need for affirmation, acceptance, lust, these are the deeper issues that so often don't get talked about and don't get addressed. 
These are the issues that need to be talked about and they need to be addressed. And to be honest, the church has done a poor job of addressing this subject because it's awkward and because it's uncomfortable. Our culture continues to move away from viewing sex as an expression of intimacy and love to one where sex is glorified and objectified, used and abused, and as a result, sex loses its luster in marriages. And this may very well be contributing to our high divorce rates today and the rising restlessness that we find in many marriages. We simply don't understand what sex is and when it is appropriate. I think that it's imperative that parents talk to their adolescents at some point about sex, what it is, what it isn't. And my advice to parents is don't wait too long to have that conversation because if you don't have that conversation with your children, then guess what? The culture is going to have it for you. And you might not want that. The age is different for every family, for every child, in terms of when it's appropriate to have that conversation. And yes, it's an awkward conversation, but it's an important one. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, beware of lust. Adultery, he says, starts with lust. Let me tell you a story. Uh, John and Julie met in college at Dartmouth. They started dating. They fell in love. They both decided to go on to law school. They went to the University of Virginia. They were married after their first year of law school, so they had two years left. They graduated from law school. They moved to Chicago, and they both took jobs with big corporate firms in downtown Chicago. They started their careers off on a good foot. Their marriage seemed strong. They had a great combined income. They had good friends. They seemed to be living the, the good life. They called the, it's, I think it's called dink, dual income, no kids, right? Not a bad situation for a while. They worked long hours, but still, you know, they knew that. That was part of the deal. They were with corporate firms. It just came with the territory. They traveled on the weekends. They had lots of friends. They got involved in uh, charitable causes. Well, after being married for about five years, they decided it was time to start a family. So they were blessed with a son. Julie was able to leave her firm and she went and took a job working in-house for a, for a small technology company where her hours were a little more flexible. Their son was in preschool at the church that they rarely attended. Uh, they were both happy as parents, but the stress of work and marriage and family life were real and they were starting to, to take their toll. John still worked long hours. He traveled all the time. Many of his cases were in other cities, so he was always on the road. Two years later, they had a daughter. A blessing, of course, but their stress level only went up. They were so busy running their family and taking care of their kids that they rarely made time for each other. Ultimately, Julie stopped working and decided to stay home so she could be with her children while they were young. John became a partner in the firm, which was a pretty big accomplishment. That meant an increase in the family's income. He was widely recognized in his field. However, his hours remained long and stressful. When he was home, he felt like Julie never paid attention to him because she was always dealing with the kids and she was tired at night. They hardly ever went out on dates and their sex life 
leaved a lot to be desired for a couple still in their 30s. Julie felt like John worked all the time and didn't appreciate the sacrifices that she was making to stay at home and to make the family work. And so she started to build up some resentment. Meanwhile, John's law firm hired a sharp new lawyer right out of Yale Law School. She was smart, she was beautiful, and basically served as John's associate. Because so many of the cases were, were out of town, they had to travel together. They would work late many nights, and John would complain about the dissatisfaction of his marriage, and, and then one thing led to another. After a year, the two started having an emotional affair, which later led to a physical affair. John was able to keep it a secret from Julie for about five months, but Julie could sense that something was going on. She knew her husband. One night while John was asleep, she grabbed his cell phone and she started to scroll through his text messages, and it became clear very quickly what had been going on. They went to marriage counseling, but it didn't seem to work. John loved his kids, but he had clearly lost interest in his marriage. He loved being a dad, but he was ready to move on. And so a few months later, just before their ninth wedding anniversary, John filed for divorce. Unfortunately, this type of story is becoming far too common in our culture. Many people will say their vows, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part, but when the stresses and the strains of life kick in, they don't honor them. In this age of egalitarianism, where both men and women are in the workplace together, boundaries have become a big issue. Many people fail to, to keep proper boundaries, and then they make decisions that can't be undone. Jesus says in this passage, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than to have your whole body thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. What is he talking about here? Doesn't this seem a little bit extreme? Guardrails. What are the guardrails that we have in life that keep us from veering off course? How do we keep ourselves out of situations so that we are not tempted to make bad decisions? Jesus is saying, pay attention to the situations and the circumstances that cause you to stray. Don't put yourself in those situations. If you have problems when you drink, then don't drink so much. If you have problems when you're around a certain group of people, then, then stop hanging out with them. If you run around with people who don't think twice about cheating on their spouse, and maybe it's time to find some new friends. I read an interesting article that was based on research identifying the eight specific reasons why people cheat on their spouse. And um, I'm going I'm to name these eight quickly here. The first one is a lack of being in love, feeling that your spouse is not the one for you, no longer feeling passionate or falling out of love, perceiving that the relationship has become boring or dull or stagnant, 
lack of love is a powerful motivation and it's definitely one of the, the top reasons that people make these kind of decisions. The second reason is sexual desire. Feeling unsatisfied with the sex life that you have in your relationship, perhaps because your partner has lost interest in you or uh, maybe you just feel like they don't care about you like they used to. The third reason is neglect. Feeling that your spouse doesn't pay attention to you. It's not spending enough time with you. Putting their energy and, 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 and time into other situations, into work, into anything but the relationship. The fourth reason is precarious situations. When you're in a different setting or you're not quite yourself, perhaps when you're on vacation or you've been drinking or you're under a lot of stress, you may have a momentary urge to make a decision that you would not necessarily make if it was part of your stable everyday behavior. Uh, landmark events like an upcoming 40th birthday or a 50th birthday. One study showed that the nine enders, people who are 29, 39, 49, may seek in affairs, they approach a new decade, a new milestone in their life, trying to stay young. The fifth reason this article gave was boredom. You live by the motto, well, you only live once, so you just decide to go out there and explore. It's amazing in this culture where everybody seems so busy, there are still a lot of people that are bored and uh, they need productive things to do. The sixth reason was low levels of commitment, and this is oriented towards uh, people's definitions of exclusivity. Um, there are some people who say that, well, there's some people who grow up with this idea that you get married and you have a family and then later on, you know, if you want to go and, and, and act out, you can do that. And some people said, well, I saw my parent do that or that's the pattern in my family, but that's not the way marriage is supposed to be. The seventh reason, low self-esteem. You feel that sleeping with others will improve your sense of self-worth, signal your independence or increase your social status and popularity. And then the eighth reason that this article gave was anger or revenge. You suspect or know that your partner has betrayed you or hurt you, so then you want to go get even. And so the motivation is revenge. Whatever the reason might be, infidelity continues to be a problem in our culture. And I've always said that when this happens, there is a lot of collateral damage that gets done to the family and to the friends, and I know this because I've seen it time and time again as a pastor. Now, let me offer a word of hope today. Marriages can recover from this. I've seen that happen time and time again. But both spouses must be committed to making it work. Both spouses must be invested in healing and forgiveness. Both spouses must be willing to start over again. It simply doesn't work if only one person is up for the challenge. There's another story of Jesus that we find in John's gospel, John chapter 8, where they bring the woman who had been caught in adultery to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, what should we do? The law says that, that, that she should be stoned. And what does Jesus say? Let those of you who are without sin cast the first stone. And so they all drop their stones and they walk away. What does Jesus say to the woman? Has anyone condemned you? No, no one, sir. 
Neither do I condemn you. Go therefore and sin no more. Change your pattern. Start anew. Start over again. I believe that one of the best recipes to avoid lust and adultery is to remember what it means to love. What it means to be committed to another person. Commitment is important. Commitment matters. Love matters. And what does Paul say about love? He says, love is patient. And love is kind. And love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Love never ends, Paul says. Love has power over lust. Commitment has power over lust. And the decisions that we make in life, they affect other people. So we must always be careful of the situations that we put ourselves in and the decisions that we make. Honoring our commitments is a part of following Christ. And honoring our commitments will lead to a much healthier and a much happier world. Amen.